This is the Inherit Dream Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, home to 763, the local morning show, the Trevor J. Brown Show, and bonus content Saturdays. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Inherent Dream and follow us on X at Inherent Dream. The Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show is meant for an adult audience. An adult audience. The Trevor J. Brown Show may contain explicit language and topics. Explicit language and topics. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. Be a part of the show and email us at inherentdream at yahoo.com. And now, your host, Trevor J. Brown. Welcome in to another edition of the Trevor J. Brown Show here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Another week, another fantastic show for you tonight. Part two of my interview with radio broadcaster, podcaster, and good pal Ross Brendel. Be sure to check out Ross's work, his podcast, Minnesota Sports Chat, which is available on Spotify. He also is with Score North as their podcast manager. Mark Stone is here tonight. We will recap the divisional weekend in the National Football League and get you all set for Championship Sunday and get some picks on the books as well. Let's win some money with Stone. Then commentary tonight, and we celebrate greatness and the career of Joe Maurer. Tonight's program brought to you by Realtor Elizabeth Jamelli, Jellyfish Graphics, In Good Hands Massage, Jensen Sales Plus and author Regina Noel Downing. Welcome to your weekend and your new favorite podcast, The Trevor J. Brown Show, right here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. This is The Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Printing done right. Business made easy. That's what you get with Jellyfish Graphics in Princeton. Jellyfish Graphics offers high-quality embroidery, screen printing, banners, stickers, paper printing, and much, much more. A company built on the foundation of integrity, community, and veteran-owned. Get started with your project today and visit MyJellyfishGraphics.com. Jellyfish Graphics is the official promotional products and apparel provider for the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Isaac Jensen here, owner of Jensen Sales Plus in Princeton. Looking to buy or sell on Craigslist, Amazon, or eBay? I can help you with that. Need help with an estate cleanout? I can help you with that too. You can count on Jensen Sales Plus to not only meet, but to exceed all of your needs and requests. For more information, give me a call at 763-742-4583 or visit online at jensensalesplus.com. Jensen Sales Plus is a proud supporter of the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. My pal Ross Brendel back with us tonight here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Lots of great topics to discuss, including his time at Lakeville High School, how he settled on going to Brown College, and what are some of Ross's favorite Minnesota sports memories. Here's part two of my interview with Ross now. You were the last class at the Lakeville High School, right? Yes, yeah, I was. And then the split happened. Yes. Yep. Um, 
what was that change like? I mean, what was Lakeville like growing up? You know, it didn't really affect, the change didn't affect us a ton. I think we all knew it was coming, but it wasn't going to affect us because we were the last senior class. If I remember correctly, they, they didn't split the juniors. So the juniors were able to finish out their following year altogether, if that makes sense. But the split either happened, however you want to term this, either happened with the sophomores or the juniors. They didn't split the 2006 graduating class. They split the kids below them. Uh, Lakeville was a, a, a good community. It was, it, was, it was good to our family. I don't think it was much different than a lot of other suburbs in the Twin Cities. We all love to think that we're different, but as you, as you grow older, Trevor, as you mentioned, you realize we're really not. I mean, I still jokingly will poke fun at Eden Prairie, but heck, one of my best buddies just moved out to Eden Prairie, and he's a Lakevillian, so we, you know, we give him crap for that, but it, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. It's more of a it's more of a joke. Lakeville was a good community, and we grew up on the border of essentially Lakeville, Apple Valley, Rosemont, and Farmington. So I actually spent more time in Apple Valley because it was just closer. And in my opinion, I thought there was more to do that probably was wrong. It was just probably that instead of driving 15 minutes, I only had to drive five. But it was a great community. I think at the time it had 50, 55-ish thousand people, I believe. I think, Trevor, I think they're up near 70. It might be more. They now do, of course, have the two high schools. But no, it was it was a it was a good community. The the schools were the schools were good to me. I made great friends. Some of my best friends to this day are people I went to heck, even elementary. One of my best friends to this day. I've known him since I was six. You know, that's that's pretty cool, and I, and I really appreciate that. And a lot of friends that I met in junior high and high school are still some of my uh, best friends today. How did you settle on, on going to Brown? I think it, it was the wanting to just, I knew I wanted to do radio and broadcasting. I had been admitted to other colleges, but for some reason, it just, the the thought of moving into a, a, a dorm, I know that's appealing to a lot of college kids, in hindsight, I wish I would have done it, Trevor, but at the time, I, I didn't really want to do it, mainly and mainly because I knew what I wanted to do. You know, I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting, and the quickest way to do it was to go to a, you know, it, it's a school that got a bad rap for many reasons and a lot, you know, self-deserved. They brought it on themselves, but when it came to specifically radio and broadcasting, it was a renowned school. It still means something to this day, if you tell people in the business that you went to Brown and specifically on the radio and TV side. So, you know, that was why I just thought it was a quicker path. I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't want to spend two years taking generals for stuff that I didn't really want to do. Again, hindsight being 2020, you know, maybe I maybe I would have done it if, if I could go back. But it still opened a bunch of incredible doors for me within Three months, I was interning at KFAN, got a job there in the mid-2000s, met a lot of great people, and literally everything that's happened to me in my career, you know, started from there. So uh, I think to answer your question, Trevor, I think it was just, you know, we talked about this in the onset when we started recording. I knew probably at 10 to 12, I wanted to be a broadcaster, and the the quickest, and I think the way to do that, being most prepared at the time, was to go to Brown. How influential was your father in that decision? You know, my my father, 
love, love, love him dearly. You know, m- much like I hope a lot of sons can have this with their father. He he definitely is, you know, more than just a father. He's, you know, he's a best friend. He, when it came to his kids, and I have two older sisters who he also, you know, loves and adores, and a younger brother, he's fairly hands-off in a good way. You know, the the leash is very long, Trevor. If he really needs to tell you something or step in, he will. But if you decide you want to do something, he's never stopped our, stopped us kids. And I mean that many things. You know, whether it was a sister getting a tattoo at a young age <laughs> or me deciding I didn't want to do the traditional college or my oldest sister deciding she did want to do traditional college or, uh, I don't know, uh, a marriage at maybe a younger age. As long as we were decided in doing something, he was he was pretty hands-off. He told us growing up he never within reason wanted to make us do things we didn't want to do, nor did he want us to do things that we that we didn't enjoy. And I, I think it's it's paid off immensely, not just for me, but for the rest for the rest of my family. In a way, do you find that approach I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say odd, or, or I guess maybe a lot of people wouldn't expect that, considering with what happened, you lost your mother at a, at a young age. Yeah, yeah, we we lost, my mother passed away when I was eight, and I would have been, I would have been eight, about to turn nine. Mm. I actually may have that wrong. Um, she passed away in July of 95, yeah, I would have been tur- I would have turned 9. I would have turned 9 later that year, which then meant my sisters would have been turning 11 and 13. In a weird way, Trevor, maybe that was a part of it. You know, maybe yeah. he just wanted us to really enjoy life as best as we could. My father has seen tragedy in his life. He lost his father about the same age that we lost our mother. And then you fast forward 30, 40 years, he loses his wife, his first wife at the same age we were at the same age that he had lost his father. And and I, I think maybe that was a part of it. I don't know. I've never really asked him. But I do know Trevor. I think a part of he's such a loving father. He's so great even to this day. You know, even if I call him and ask him for advice, I'm, I'm damn near pushing 40, Trevor. And, you know, I think my dad succinctly said, and I think a lot of parents still feel this way, no matter how old they are and no matter how old we are, they're still our parents. And I'm fortunate that I can call and and talk to him for advice when I need it. But I I um I, I think maybe maybe losing our mother at a young age was a part of that. But I can tell you, Trevor, I think because he was such a loving, kind, and adoring father, we were all afraid to disappoint him. <laughs> Not to say that we didn't. We all test limits, did things that we shouldn't have done. Lord knows we probably did things that to this day he still doesn't know that we did, but I like to think that that's a part of growing up. But I I think that was just a part of it. He could be stern when he needed to be. I jokingly told somebody, Trevor, I'm going to buy a new car within the next year and my dad's pushing 70. I'm going to make him come with me (laughs) because he is more of an imposing and stern figure than I am. You know, if you know him, you know that that's not really the case, but he can be when he needs to be. And it's funny, you know, there's just like Eddie Parrott, you know, he can say things to his kids that nobody else can. 
you know, if you look at his kids wrong, he'll let you know. You know, and that's that's what I appreciate about him. I I just I, I love him dearly, and I'll, I'll even forward him this link so he uh, so he I'm, he knows it. But I'm sure he'll enjoy listening to it. But for fathers in general, even though we might think you mentioned you're going to go buy a new car, we might think like, yeah, that's not any joy for them. And maybe it's not joy, but some fathers wear that as a badge of honor where it's like, hey, he, he needs my help or yes. he calls me yeah. and, you know, they want to know this. And you might even know the answer to the question, but sometimes I feel it goes a long way. Just call and double check because that phone call might mean a lot to them. Yeah. And I am not a father, Trevor. I really hope to be one one day. I do. I, I want kids right now. I'm an uncle to three just awesome, beautiful nieces. I'd love to be a father one day. If I'm not, you know, whatever, you know, you roll with life. But um, I I do think that that's a part of it. You know, they do love that, the, the the badge of honor and that they can help. And I think, you know, your parents, it's, it's you know, uh, motherly and fatherly. They want to protect you. They want to do, they want to do the best that they can. I, I know I, I call, you know, I live 20 minutes from my dad. I call him at least once a week just to check in and I routinely see him. We'll go out for breakfast. Like I said, uh, go to games and I will call him for advice. Sometimes it's even stupid stuff. I, I bought a home two years ago. It was my first home. And there's just stuff that most people probably my age would know, but I don't. So I just pick up the phone and call dad and heck, he'll even come over if he needs to. So, you know, you're probably right, Trevor. I, I think it's, it's probably that, that badge of honor, but I think it's also just you know, most parents, if you're lucky enough to have really good ones, they will do whatever they can for you, whether that's driving across country to help you out or driving 20 yeah. minutes to help you figure out how to turn off your water in the winter. Yeah, my dad helped me get to Arizona, and then later that summer, he came back out to Arizona and helped me get back. That was but, the first job right after school. But so. that's what you do, right? Yeah. Again, like again, not a parent, but that's what you do. You'll do, and to an extension, I don't necessarily do it, you know, for kids of mine, but I'd like to think... You know, I can't be at every family event and I can't do everything, but I would like to think, and in fact, I know if you really need me, I, I will be there, you know, because that's that's what families do. Ross Brendel, my guest on the Trevor J. Brown Show, podcast manager with Hubbard Broadcasting, host of Minnesota Sports Chat. You can find him on Twitter at the Ross Brendel. Do you have a favorite Minnesota sports memory? Ooh, um... Probably a couple, and again, you know, you have to you have to view it through my glasses as a Minnesota sports fan that was born in 1986. I only vaguely remember the 1991 World Series. I would have been five, and what I remember about that is people waving Homer hankies in a living room. So I don't really remember the games. I would say my two most. I think they're tied, Trevor. I was at game 163 between the Twins and Tigers where the Twins beat the Tigers in extra innings, it was so deafening loud in there, Trevor. I could yell at the top of my lungs. I went with our good buddy Manny and my brother Sam. Sam sat directly, I'm almost positive Sam was directly to my right and Manny was to the right of him. I had to yell to Sam. I would yell to him at moments of peak interest at the top of my lungs as loud as I could I couldn't hear myself yelling and he couldn't hear me. <laughs> and and we're, we're six inches from each other. And I, I could only imagine that that was what it was like, if not more, during those 1987 and 1991 
uh, World Series runs. It's either tied or it might be slightly above because Trevor is, as you know, gopher football for some sick reason is near and dear to my heart. Um, the, the game against Penn State in 2019 was awesome, and it was awesome. The main reason to me why it was awesome, again, the result ended up mattering. But what was so cool, Trevor, to me is I watch, I'm a college football nut. I watch literally 12 hours of it every Saturday in the fall. I've watched parts to all of every bowl game that's happened so far as we're recording here during bowl season. In fact, I'm going to drag you to a sports bar here shortly so we can <laughs> keep tabs on the yes. first bowl game of the day. That's a that's a true story. Um, Gopher football, Dinkytown, the University of Minnesota, was the epicenter of college football on that Saturday. And it was incredible to see, again, a smaller stadium, but a stadium, Trevor, that on that day was 95% Gopher fans, all wearing maroon, all waving their gold towels, and just a smidgen of Penn State fans. And Penn State, say what you want about them, they have an incredible alumni and an incredible fan base. And on that day, they had a heck of a time getting into the stadium because Gopher fans were not giving up their tickets. And it was the epicenter of college football that day. It resulted in college game day coming to town two weeks later. College bleeping game day. Yeah. The literally it never the, happens. It yeah, never ne- happens. Never happens. And then it came back the following year during COVID. It wasn't open to fans. As far as I'm concerned, the Gophers are 0-2 when game day shows up, so they never need to come back again. <laughs> but it was great to be there for that Wisconsin game. I was actually out there with Hubbard Broadcasting, passing out donuts at 5 in the morning to throngs of college football fans waiting to get into game day. But that Minnesota-Penn State game, that was just something special. And again, uh, maybe this says you know too much about me, but I, I mean, I'll remember that forever. And... You hope to get moments like that again. And um, again, say what you want about P.J. Fleck. Nobody else ever delivered that experience to me. So uh, I'll always have that connection to him and the Gophers for that. And it would have been would have been nice to beat Wisconsin later that year and pay it off with a trip to uh, Indianapolis and a potential Big Ten championship or at least playing in the game. But heck, they went 10-2 and that year, won a New Year's Day Bowl, and... Uh, that was just awesome, and again, it was more than just the game. It was the, it was the being out there early, the tailgating, the going to bars. I mean, you remember Trevor? This literally turned into a Gopher football state. There were, there was a new station in town. I believe it was Care Eleven. On Friday, they had things like thirty hours to kick off. When do you ever see yeah. that for Gopher football? You yeah. know, it was it was awesome. So. I waver during baseball season. I would probably tell you it was game 163 during football season. I would probably tell you that it was um, that it was the Gopher Penn State game. And even though it didn't have any massive payoff, the uh, the Minnesota miracle or Minneapolis miracle that that was fun to see, if if only for a moment. Because when does stuff like that ever happen to the Vikings? Typically, it goes the other way. I'll give you a couple, and these aren't necessarily impactful games I mean the teams didn't win championships they didn't go on to win championships but I can't remember the exact year it was either 97 or 98 and I don't remember if it was my first Wolves game or it was one of I know it was one of my first Wolves games but it was the last home game of the regular season they had to win in order to make the playoffs you win 
and you're in pretty much. And they had to play Houston, and Houston was very good. Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley was there, Clyde Drexler. And I went with a good friend of mine from grade school and his dad, and they he drove us down in his little little pickup truck. And I remember walking into Target Center, and we had we literally sat in row X, and we our heads were up against the back wall in the second deck and the wolves won that game but you mentioned how noisy a crowd could be that was amazing and then i remember when target field opened i didn't get there until like september of that year i can't remember if it was the first year or not but we were we were sitting behind home plate and me and some friends from the day job were being a little naughty and we were razzing miguel cabrera and during the offseason miguel had a little problem with the drink and got arrested for DUI. And at one point we stand up and we say, Hey, Miguel, 0.24. How about that? Your Jersey number, blah, you know, we're just riding them. And the dude launches this moonshot that I don't think has come down yet. I mean, it was, it's like he hit a home run to Champlin park and he comes around third base and he just eyes us. And it was one of the greatest, you know, it was, he probably hated us, but you know, I think it was in, in all good fun. And honestly, anytime I got to see David Ortiz, he hit some home runs at target field when he was with Boston that were just laser beam moonshots, like going out onto the plaza, watching guys like that hit. Oh my goodness. Was that fun? Well, and again, Trevor, with pretty much everything you just mentioned, do you remember the results of a lot of those games? Uh, I just I remember that uh, the Wolves won that game because they they had to win to make the playoffs. So. Okay, but that's it. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't know if again the ones that I remember. It's weird because they they didn't like the Wolves game was important, but it's it wasn't like the Western Conference Finals. Like they didn't go on to win a championship. And the Twins games, I'm pretty sure that's when the Twins were like not not doing too hot, you know, for for a little bit. And if they didn't make the playoffs, they obviously probably ran into the Yankees and didn't, you know, didn't, uh, didn't have a lot of success with that. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird how you remember certain things and things stand out. And I remember the first time walking into the Metrodome, how cool it was to see the, the, you know, the, the field, the turf, and then leaving the Metrodome and having that little gust of air push you <laughs> yeah. out the door. Windy doors, windy <laughs> doors. I think everybody chanted that at some point in their Metrodome life. I know music. We'll, we'll wrap with this music huge part of your life too. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your favorite bands and, and who are some of your favorite bands that you've had the, the opportunity to see live? You know, I think a part of our friendship, Trevor is honestly because of some of the music that we, that we appreciate. I think we don't always agree on, uh, on everything. I think you love the new green day album a heck of a lot more than I do. <laughs> Although I don't think it's hot garbage, which, you know, I think says a, a lot more than maybe some of their, their recent stuff. Uh, yeah, the, the Green Days of the World, I was listening to um, 763, The Local, I think it was yesterday. Not a bad show. Maybe it was today. It might have been this morning when I when I woke up. You were talking about Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Huge, huge. And I've, I've said numerous times, Paul McCartney should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three different ways. Mm-hmm. One with the Beatles, one with Paul McCartney and Wings, one with Paul McCartney. I think he's brilliant brilliant at everything that he does Uh, a big locally huge soul asylum guy i typically get to their yearly show at first avenue they have one coming up i won't get to it this year but i did see them at the state fair it's a as i always tell people grammy award-winning soul asylum i think 
a lot of people will remember Runaway Train. If you really listen to their albums from the late 80s and early 90s, there's just killer stuff in there. I always tell people if it wasn't for a little band named Nirvana, people would know a lot more about Soul Asylum than they do, you know, because they were coming of age right about the same time along with Pearl Jam. Uh, but those would those would probably be some of the biggest. I just generally genuinely enjoy throwing on music, listening to it in the background, more of the um, the classic rock, alt rock, and even even the pop punk style. I was listening to CCR a couple weeks back. Just great stuff. I mean, that's uh, you listen to stuff like that, even though it's not all feel good music. If you listen to the lyrics, it's also hard not to feel good. And I think. That's the beauty of music. It means something different to everybody. You might listen to something and get emotional for one reason. I might listen to something and get emotionally high for a different reason. You know, it's, I try not to get super defensive about music. It's subjective. It's, it's, it's much like anything else in life. Everybody has different opinions. It means something different to everybody. But I would say to your point, Trevor, it's, it's, it's the pillars that I think a lot of people like. And you know, sometimes people think that that's a little cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason because they, they tend to work and have meaning. And I think when you talk about pillar bands, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, the Led Zeppelins of the world, there's a reason why these are renowned bands and it's it's good stuff. And you think about the music and the musical influences and in bands that have, that have come from them. Right now, Trevor, I go through this stage once or twice a year, I get back into like ska or pop punk music. I've been listening to a lot of Less Than Jake and MXPX lately. You know, just yeah. music of my youth. But to me, it, music can be timeless for everybody. And it's it's incredible. I actually saw an interview recently with Green Day where they talked about that. I mean, Green Day is not a young band anymore. I mean, most of the members, I believe, they're all now in their early 50s. You know, they... They're connecting with audiences of, with people that are in their 50s and people that are in their 20s, you know, so that says a lot about the timelessness of music and how it can cross generations. I give Green Day credit. I know for the last few years when they've been touring, they're playing stadiums. I mean, the last couple of times they've mm-hmm. come, they're playing Target Field and huge shows, but the last time they were here, they pretty much avoided their last decade of albums. That I think they played some stuff off of 21st Century Breakdown, and they just sort of avoided everything else. Yet they continue to make new music. And I know we sort of differ on these things, and look, I get it. When you go see Green Day, you want to hear stuff from Dookie. You want to hear stuff from Nimrod, some American Idiot. I get it. But they're also making new music, and I appreciate when bands do throw in, I don't want a whole set of new stuff. But when McCartney comes, he's going to play some stuff from the new record. Now, you say that's beer time, but I actually like when the set list is a little bit different. Now, look, I've said this numerous times. The the guy has to play yesterday. He has to play Let It Be. There are certain things in his set that he cannot remove. I've heard these songs millions of times. If he never played yesterday again, I probably wouldn't care. So... I like, you know, I'd like him to add some more wing stuff. I'd like him to add some yeah, more solo me too. stuff. Me too, on the wings um, part. In in terms of, 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 you know, stuff from the new record, I don't want you to play the new album front to back, but if you want to throw in a couple, that's fine. I, I appreciate that because well, I've, back, I've heard the old stuff 
enough. And sorry to cut you off there, but I will back you up a bit. I have always said when you go to shows like that, especially when you know like a Paul McCartney by himself, he's going to play for two and a half hours. Green Day, if you go see him in an arena, typically plays for two hours and 20 minutes. I know the last time at Target Field, they played for like an hour 40, which was more than I thought you were going to get because they were also with Weezer and um, Fallout Boy. But I've always said when you go see bands like that, if the payoff to get most of the music that I want to hear is that you're going to play two or three songs that are newer and maybe don't have mass appeal, I'm okay with that. But yeah, for the most part, you know, if, if Paul McCartney breaks into my Valentine ever again, that is, and he won't, but if he does, you know, that's that's when you go for the beer. I will say this, Trevor, I thought Egypt Station was a great album. Great album. I, I think that was fantastic. I still listen to that on occasion, which again speaks to the brilliance of a guy at the time who, I don't know how old that album is now, Trevor. Is it five years, seven years? I don't know. But a guy who was in his early to mid-70s at the point, putting out an album like that. And and he's been smart about it, too. I mean, again, say what you want about Kanye, but at the time, doing something with Kanye and Rihanna was good for Paul and good for his brand. And I appreciate that he's still out there. I fully expect him to come back and do another stadium show. You know, Ringo... Ringo said numerous times, Paul won't stop making music and he won't stop playing because, for lack of a better way of putting it, Ringo's basically said he believes that he'll die. So, <laughs> I I fully expect to see Paul at least one more time in the Twin Cities, and I hope to. He's, he's the one artist, Trevor, I'll probably pay whatever it takes. You know, there's a lot of bands that come to town, even Green Day, at this stage in their career, I don't need to see them every time they come to town, but... If I can get in for the right price, I will. Uh, for Paul, I'll pretty much pay any price because it could be the last time. And, and I think for how much he's meant to me and my family, I think it's it's worth those pennies. Paul, uh, Egypt Station came out 2018. And okay, so five, six years ago now at this point. McCart- have you listened to McCartney 3? Mm-hmm. That came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think it was as good as Egypt Station. But, um, again, fine. You know, I... I will tell you this, I can't, in my head, I can't think that there was much memorable on it because nothing's coming to me, but I know I listened to it. I I think both albums are, are super strong. I like Egypt Station. I think it's maybe a little long. I, I'm not a huge fan of albums with like 15, 16 tracks. I'd rather you cut a few of them. McCartney 3, I think, sort of wanders at the end and would have been... There's only 11 tracks on there, so it's really tough to, to cut anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for a guy to be making the music, he, I mean, he's still creating, and he's he's in his 80s now, which is... He's got a great is, band with him, too, Trevor. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they've oh, yeah. been with him now for what, since the late 90s? First tour they Early went 2000s? on um, was the, the uh, Driving USA tour. Which would have been mid two thousands, like two thousand two thousand one, because the okay. the album was Driving Rain. Yeah, so they've been with and, him for two plus decades now. Because you remember Driving Rain, it had the the song Freedom on yep. it, which you loved. <laughs> this is my right. Yeah. Well, let's not sing it because we don't want to get sued by by Mac. But uh, no. <laughs> well, I can do a cover, right? With with or without his permission, I can do a cover. I believe, well, right? hopefully, he knows that we love him. We do. We, yeah, we do. We sing it in uh, in all in all support of him, buddy. I appreciate you coming in, and uh, it's it's always a pleasure having you on the on the program and and talking legitimately everything and anything with you and we'll certainly have you back in the future yeah this is this has been great trevor i'll get in the one shameless plug minnesota sports chat is my podcast aside from hubbard 
You can find it anywhere, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. If you like this interview, I think you'll like the podcast. I typically put out one a week, sometimes two. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing on Apple and Spotify, I would really appreciate that. For the day job, you can hear me um, off and on as part of uh, the Purple Daily Podcast Network in season. I do a podcast on Monday with Jesse Pierce from the Bar Down Beauties podcast and Judd Zolgad talking Vikings football. From time to time, you'll hear me on Flagger and Howells. That's a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. So please, if you like what I do, yeah, find me on Twitter at the Ross Brendel. But more specifically, uh, support those podcasts if you can. I would really appreciate that. And keep supporting Trevor as well. Take care, buddy. Thanks, bud. Ross Brendel here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. You're listening to the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Time to relax. Time to treat yourself. Time for a massage. Time to head to In Good Hands Massage in Malacca. In Good Hands Massage specializes in all types of massage, including deep tissue, relaxation, hot stone, sports massage, and more. They also offer salt lamps, essential oils, and much more. Book your appointment today or get your gift cards at facebook.com slash massage by Lindsay. Realtor Elizabeth Jamelli and Merwin & Associates Real Estate Services has over 35 years of experience in all aspects of real estate in Elk River, Zimmerman, Sherburne County, and beyond. Beth and her team can help you find your new home or sell your current one. She also has homes available in a beautiful 55-plus community in Elk River, off of Line Avenue, one block north of Aber Auto. You can reach Beth at 763-286-3729. And be sure to check out current and featured listings on her new website, MerwinAndAssociates.com. Elizabeth Jamelli is the official realtor for the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. We have had him all season long. We just wrapped up Divisional Weekend, and now we have two juicy matchups for NFL Conference Championship Weekend. His contributions are very much appreciated. It's Mark TNT Stone on another edition of a Free For All Friday. Free For All Friday! On the Trevor J. Brown Show. Stone, how are you? Trevor, I am doing great. Uh, last week's games, of course, much more interesting than the wild card round was. Um, struggled with the bets, kind of came to a screeching halt. Was good enough to at least get one of them to go through as I took the over, as you suggested, on this show, and that hit on the Bucks lions game. But yes, the uh, Saturday games with Baltimore and Houston, as well as San Fran and Green Bay, kind of went differently than I anticipated in both of those games. I think for Saturday's games, I was surprised with just how Baltimore kind of pulled away. I expected them to win. Houston kept it close for a bit, but they just, I think we, we talked about it a bit last week. They just offensively, I thought CJ Stroud was going to have a, a troublesome day against that Baltimore defense. And, uh, you know, Baltimore, you just, Lamar played really well, MVP type season. They won. And, and the Niners, you know, they didn't win by a lot, but they took care of business. I mean, I don't care what you win by. If you win by three or if you win by 30, if you're advancing to the next round, it's the playoffs. You're going to get the best shot, the other team's best shot 
each weekend. So the 49ers win. They had to deal with some injuries during the game. And I think now you just move on to the next round and, and hope people can get healthy. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with you with the Houston-Baltimore game. Um, again, that Baltimore defense, Mike McDonald, there's a reason why he is on the short list for a lot of these jobs that are remaining um, to be possibly the next head coach. The guy is a defensive genius, and we, we called it. It was confusing for Stroud as the game went on, masking coverages and blitzes, bringing it all over the place, keeping guys fresh. It's kind of the way they've built that defense this year, and you see it, especially, too, with Queen and Smith roaming the middle. Over on San Fran, I was I was heavily disappointed throughout that game. I could have coached that game better than Kyle did. So very disappointed with a guy who is insistent on sticking to his game plan and his game plan for some odd reason, even in the elements and Brock Purdy, who struggles to hold on to the football because of his small hands wanted to pass the ball constantly. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, when they had Debo Samuel in there, coming out of there, they were moving right up the field, first three plays, McCaffrey, Samuel twice. But once you lose Debo Samuel, you need to pivot off of that game plan, and you need to do what we suggested you do on this show, and that is just run yeah. the ball with Christian McCaffrey. And when they did, I mean, McCaffrey popped off, still had over 120 yards rushing and over two, and two TDs. He was the difference in this game, and everybody wants to sit all week long and trash Brock Purdy and how much he sucks and how much this team is limited because of him, and he's Mr. Irrelevant. We've been hearing about it all season long. This win galvanized this team. The Packers, I talked about it. They're a team that's on the rise. They're the youngest team since the 1970 merger to get this far in the playoffs, and they, again, let this game go. They let this game get out of their grips. They had a chance to drive the field at the end, possibly tie it or go ahead. And then, of course, once again, Jordan Love did his best Brett Favre impression yeah. and, and threw off his back leg right to nobody and right into the hands of Trey Greenlaw. I'm sick and been listening to it all week. I walked out of I was watching that game with a knot in my stomach the whole time, watching once again Kyle Shanahan and company piss down a game they should be dominating, they should have it at home. Brock Purdy comes alive on the last drive, drives him to it. Folks, you want to talk about how much, again, I'm going back to how much he sucks, and I've just been hearing about it all season long, and again here, listen, everybody knows the catch. Everybody knows about Joe Montana, the legend that is Joe Montana in that game. You want to know something else about that game? He threw three picks in that game before the catch happened. And nobody ever talks about that. But all we got to talk about here is how much Brock Purdy sucks, even though he came together. And for once, him and Kyle, down by more than seven points going into fourth quarter, 0-30 during his time there, finally pull it out on the biggest stage and head to another NFC championship. Yeah, I mean, I thought our game plan that that we laid out was was pretty decent. I mean, you mentioned the stats for McCaffrey. Dude, if, if, if they would have just kept running the football, uh, he could have probably had 200 yards and another touchdown or two in that game. The Packers could not stop a nosebleed, uh, let alone the 49ers running the football. You know, the Packers have a very bright future with Jordan Love. The interception at the end was terrible, obviously. We could have intercepted that pass. And, and 
Before we talk about Sunday's games and then the conference championships, we'll get some picks on the books here. Mark Stone, our guest here. Um, as a Vikings fan, we usually don't dive too much into like Vikings specifically, just because we have you know a bigger audience. We're not just Minnesota sports, but I want to I want to talk about the Vikings for a second for the NFC North. If you're a Vikings fan, are you a little concerned right now? I mean, obviously you had a lot of injuries this year. Kirk Cousins went down, but the Lions are in the NFC championship game. The Packers made the playoffs and everybody thought the Packers had no chance at the playoffs. The Bears suck, but there was improvement for the Bears as the season went on. And oh, by the way, they also have the number one overall pick and it's not even theirs. They have their own pick as well. I just, I look at these teams in the NFC North and obviously things can change stone. That's the beauty about the NFL. One year you're hot, the next year you're not. And the Vikings could have a good draft. They could get some things going, but I don't know if I'm so confident that reclaiming the NFC North is in the cards for this team next year. Well, this is going to be a key offseason for them. And the biggest question, Mark, is what do you do at quarterback? Yeah. Kirk Cousins has mentioned he's willing to come back on a team-friendly deal. Well, how team-friendly is it, Kirk? Because you still have to extend J.J. You still got a couple other key pieces. You need to sign Daniel Hunter's another one. Um, it seems like Brian Flores fixed the defense, which is good. Could still definitely get a few more pieces through the draft there. Um, offensively, again, we go back to quarterback. You bring back Cousins. I think even if you do bring back Cousins, you got to find a way to draft either Bo Nix or Michael Penix, who are the four and five guys in this draft. They got to, to me, they got to take them in the first round. I, you need another quarterback, somebody who can take over this job in a year or two, because you're not going to have Cousins here for the next three to five. I don't care. I would sign him to a two year deal, and I would get a rookie quarterback in here who can be the QB of your future. That's what I think they need to do if they want to compete in this division. And Chicago, Chicago's going to get Caleb Williams. There's no doubt about it. I think Justin. Fields is gone. They are moving in a direction to build this team around Caleb and around Caleb Williams, which means arguably Minnesota is going to have the worst quarterback situation in the division if they do not address it properly. Sunday's divisional games, hell of a run for Tampa Bay. Uh, we talked about it last week. I had Tampa Bay at three wins for this past year. You had them at what, five or six? I mean, my goodness. I mean, you talk about the job Todd Bowles did with that team. And I I can't remember if Todd Bowles said it and they mentioned it on the broadcast or somebody in the Tampa Bay organization when they were coming back after Tom retired, everybody was picking them to be terrible. And and I'm one of them. And I think it was Todd Bowles. He kind of came out and said, we were kind of in the facility saying, hey, we still have a pretty good team here. I mean, we, we have Super Bowl champions on this team. We have veterans, we have playmakers. Uh, we're going to come to play and they came and they battled and, and, uh, they gave Detroit a hell of a fight for most of that game. And, you know, the chiefs bills game, I'll tell you this stone that that was the game. Truly. It could have went either way. You mentioned the criticism on Purdy and I agree with you 110% on that. I'm, I am i don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not. I, I want your take, but I'm tired of all of the people in the national media giving Josh Allen crap. Look, I will be the first to tell you, the guy has turnover issues. He needs to fix that problem. But let me give you a little rundown of um, just his record since 
he became a full-time starter in the NFL. 10 and 6, 13 and 3, 11 and 6, 13 and 3, 11 and 6. The dude is 63 and 30 overall in his career if you include the 5 and 6 record from 2018. Uh this past year he had a completion percentage of 66.5, 29 touchdowns. Again, 18 interceptions, it's too many. The year before that, 35 touchdowns, 36 touchdowns the year before that, 37 in 2020. And I heard some national media member Stone say, well, if this guy, you know, he can't win in the postseason, is is he the long-term solution in Buffalo? Who Who is the long-term solution then in Buffalo? You want Tyrod Taylor to come back and start for you? Josh Allen is a legit quarterback. Let me, I hate to break it to these national media guys, but there's only one guy at the end of the season that's happy. That's a quarterback in the NFL. And that's the Super Bowl champion. And recently it's been a hell of a lot of Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen might never win a Super Bowl. He might win one. He might win five. We don't know. But you know what? Dan Marino never won one. And I don't hold him in some low regard because he never won a Super Bowl. There is a difference. Like if he had a Super Bowl, I would hold him in an even higher regard. He doesn't have it. Yes, you play to win Super Bowls. You play to win championships. I get that. But these people saying like Josh Allen isn't a starter in the NFL. Are you kidding me? No, it's ridiculous. And in in the AFC, where it is now going to be super stacked with the quarterbacks, we're starting to see this crew of quarterbacks led by Mahomes getting into the same realm that we had for over 20 years in the AFC, where it was either Manning, or Brady, or Roethlisberger, and maybe a dash of Joe Flacco going in. I think you're going to have the same thing happening now for the next 10 to 15 years, where it's either going to be Burrow, it's going to be Mahomes, it's going to be Allen, or now with Jim Harbaugh coming yeah. to coming to be the head coach of the Chargers, I think Justin Herbert is going to be thrown into the mix with those four people. It is going to – if you want a shot in the AFC, you got to have a guy like Josh Allen. And you talked about it, the turnover issues and things like that. You know what? I, I, I'm starting to not even believe that because this offense is sure a lot more dynamic when Josh Allen is reckless. Joe Brady definitely has tried to do make this a run-first team and, again, try to limit the turnovers from Allen. But bottom line is, with their defense being what it was down to, you got a linebacker in A.J. Klein who's been in this league for like 10, 11 years as a journeyman. He knows his defense, but again, he does not have the step and the ability that he had in his first two or three years. You got him starting at middle linebacker here. I mean, there's just so many things that this, this, this team was handcuffed with, much like, again, Kansas City facing Miami's defense the week before as Lord Fangio has now left the building. Um, I mean, those are the kind of things. I think Joe Brady just made a mistake here. He And I get it. Uh, Sean McDermott wanted, you know, ball control, run-orientated offense here, but you fed right into Kansas City's strength on their defense here. They really needed Josh Allen to get reckless really air it out, really push it. And by the time they decided to do that, it was too late. Kansas City already knew it was coming and again had everything had everything up against it. But we've seen Kansas City and 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 
Buffalo shoot it out before for some exciting games, and you weren't getting that this day. And it proved to be a loss for Buffalo at home when we've seen them beat Kansas City on the road numerous times in regular season. You mentioned the gauntlet of quarterbacks in the AFC. All right, Burrow's not even in the playoffs at this point, so you know Joe Burrow's going to be back. Lamar Jackson, hello, he's playing on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I forgot about uh, Lamar. you got to sprinkle Lamar in yeah. there as well. And then, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that this guy's necessarily close, but he made the playoffs. I mean, C.J. Stroud, it's going to be a big offseason for him, the development from year one to year two. But based on what we saw for the first season, I'm going to put C.J. Stroud in that mix here in the future. You have Josh Allen. You have Tua down in Miami. He's going to have something to say about that. Patrick Mahomes. But then, look, these guys I'm not going to put in that same tier stone. Kind of like with, you know, for years we had Brady and Manning, and then you'd sprinkle in a little Flacco. You'd sprinkle in a little Roethlisberger. I think you might sprinkle in a little Aaron Rodgers for maybe another year or two and sprinkle in a little Russell Wilson if he stays in the AFC just because those guys are vets. I mean, they're they're going to have something to say about it too. Obviously, the ones I named first are going to be first in line, but you know how they like to play spoiler. Like, you can never count out those guys. So we just named like uh, 75% of the AFC we see these uh, superstars jump all the time in the NBA going from, you know, forming super teams and everything. Maybe one of these quarterbacks, when their contract's up, they should jump ship from the AFC to the NFC because there's good quarterbacks in the NFC, but it's definitely not the gauntlet that is the AFC. Well, the rumor is Russell Wilson, if if, if uh, Denver actually does get rid of him or eats a lot of his salary, the rumor is if they don't get Justin Fields in Atlanta, it'll be Russell in Atlanta with all those weapons down there and depending upon who the head coach is as well and, and what the coaching goes there. But definitely you got to – I think you're in agreement that – Something's got to give. Some of these quarterbacks need to come on over to the NFC if they really want a shot because, honestly, it's wide open. Who's, who are you going to say is the best NFC quarterback? Matthew Stafford? Jared Goff? Uh, man, I mean – Jordan Love now? I, well, I mean, I think a lot of people would – statistically, if, if I had to take somebody for one game, I'd probably go with Stafford. But I think honestly, you're probably it's a diff it it's a difficult question because am I taking somebody for one game in like the Super Bowl or am I taking somebody to build a franchise around? Because if I'm taking somebody to build a franchise around, it's not Stafford because he's older. You know, same thing with Goff. I'd rather have one of these young guys. But I also I don't think like based on the reports I heard this past week in Philadelphia, I don't know if I'm taking Jalen Hurts, you know, to 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 uh, lead my uh, lead my men, or definitely not taking Dak. Right, right. I'm in a, I'm in agreement totally. <laughs> you know what'd be interesting? What are your thoughts on this? We'll get we'll go to the championship uh, conference championship picks here in a second. I'd be curious if Russell did go to Atlanta. I know he's older now, but I'd love to see him indoors. I wonder if that develops a little bit more of his game and he'd be a little bit more confident taking off with with the football. You get those eight or nine home games in Atlanta. You go to New Orleans, get to play a, a game there inside. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading that, but I think that opens up a little different element to Russ's game. Maybe we can let him cook. Well, there's that and also the fact, too, that mentions that it is, I mean, there's been 
there's been reports that his arm strength has dwindled here the last couple of seasons. He can't sling it like he used to in Seattle. So definitely being in a controlled environment, which you get there playing at least 10 games a year, you know, with, with the I mean, eight home games, I guess, plus New Orleans, I should say 11 games, New Orleans, Tampa, and in Carolina, especially if you're early in the season on Carolina there. I mean, that could be huge for a guy like Wilson. There's no doubt about that. It'll be interesting to see who the head coach is there, whether it's Belichick or whether it's one of these up-and-coming coordinators. I'll tell you this, <laughs> musical chairs is going round and round and round here right now in the NFL, and we're starting to run out of chairs, and we've got still plenty of quality candidates. Yeah, it's crazy. Mark Stone is with us. Let's get some picks on the books for conference championship weekend. I want to start with the late game, Lions and 49ers, because to me, look, beginning of the year, I picked San Francisco to win the Super Bowl. I am not going away from my pick at all at this point. I love everything that San Francisco has done this season, and I feel it's finally coming together for this team. And this is their chance. This is their chance to put it all together. You know, and people could say like, hey, and I I said it last year to you, Stone, you get a quarterback in there, you know, two years ago, you get a quarterback in there, this team, wow, defensively, we've been talking about this defense now for like two, three years. You got playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. I thought it really shored up the team when they got McCaffrey last year. That was really great. And now it's all coming together, and Purdy's playing really good football, I feel, for the most part. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? No, but he's somebody that's competent. He can make plays when he has to, and he has the playmakers. I get tired. I'm sure you do, too. You just defended him. I get tired of the guys that say, well, it's, he's a system quarterback. If you know, if he was playing with the Jets, he'd probably be like Zach Wilson. Are you kidding me? Have you ever seen any glimpse from anything from Zach Wilson to make you think that Zach Wilson could fart and be cute at the same time? I mean, the, the, the guy's a disaster. The guy shouldn't be holding clipboards in the NFL. Brock Purdy is now back to the NFC Championship game. I like the 49ers here. They were my Super Bowl pick at the beginning of the year. I'll give you a score. I like the 49ers 30-17. to 17. Wow. So you're kind of predicting a blowout here. I mean, that's... I, I see people on both sides of this line here. Some people are saying it's Detroit for sure just because Dan Campbell likes to gamble, um, wants to keep it close. It's going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Others see it as a San Francisco, you know, blowout like you do, you know, where they're going to have control of this game from part one all the way through. I think a key to this game right now is what's the status of Debo Samuel? Um, is he going to be able to go or not? As of right now, he does not practice. We're talking on Thursday <clears throat> up to this point, but he is such a key cog for that San Francisco 49ers offense that Kyle Shanahan runs. And I think Kyle needs to know one way or the other. Cause it was obvious last week, him sticking to his game plan without Debo was not the right thing to do. You're running Ray Ray McLeod and freaking Chris Conley out there and trying to freaking and trying to run the Debo stuff in this offense. And don't get me wrong, Conley made a fantastic play, but Ray Ray McLeod is not a guy you want running a jet sweep and anything <laughs> like that. So, I mean, it was just ridiculous. I was just getting super pissed. Plus the fact, too, that he was continuing to try to attack the flats with McCaffrey and trying to get the ball out there, and Purdy couldn't really throw. He couldn't grip the football well. Just run the damn ball up the middle. It's not that hard. Keep use check in, keep the double tights in, and just run power 
our football. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here. I think if Debo doesn't go, the game plan's going to be much more succinct, much more better, much more run-orientated. Let's face it, Detroit's defensive backs suck outside of rookie Brian Branch. They can't make plays. They can't do anything. So even if you're without Debo, I'm still content and confident in Jennings and in Ayuk and in Kittle to be able to tear up this defense there, which means, again, back to the Lions' D, they got to keep it the Lions' offense. they got to keep it close. Look for Dan Campbell start gambling in the second quarter in his own end, and if he doesn't convert, that's how this turns into a 49ers blowout real freaking fast. Uh, a couple things on this. This is the Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Lock in the 49ers for the win. I have not bet this game yet. I am still watching this line closely, even though it's pretty much held at seven um, in the 18 conference games since 2000, where the spread is six or greater, five of those 18 dogs won outright. Interestingly enough, mm. the last one being the Bengals against the chiefs. However, prior to that nine of the last 10 who have, who have uh, had the, uh, had the big, the big line in their favor have won straight up. So, you know, there is there is something to be said being a big favorite on this one. Um, I was really pissed off. I didn't get to mention when I was on my rant about how bad this team was. Steve Wilkes, again, proves once again he still sucks <laughs> as a defensive coordinator. I said going into that game against the Packers, you got to run, man, and you got to bring a blitz. All he did all, long, all game long was run zone against an offense he sees every freaking week that you know if you run zone against it, they're going to find the pocket. And he's just rushing four guys. It's let's face it, Chase Young is done. He doesn't look good. And Nick Bosa could never get to the quarterback. So you're getting no pressure on Jordan Love. You want to beat Jared Goff? Bring the pressure. Yeah. Bring an extra blitzer and run man on these guys. I, I mean, it's simple. It's simple for me, being a defensive coordinator, that that's the way I would run. But apparently, I'm the one on the other sidelines. As numerous people have told me, congratulations this week for making the NFC Championship game as the Detroit Lions and it's again punched their ticket. So I don't got to bet on this. I may take the over, but it keeps on going up. But my pick is the San Francisco 49ers to win this one in the Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Chiefs and Ravens. You know, everything in my head is telling me to say, take take the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, the, the defense has been legit, lights out all season. You know, Lamar, Lamar had a great game last week. I'm not taking anything away from him. And it's crazy that I'm going to say this, but I still feel there's another level to what he can do because we've seen it before. However, the Chiefs somehow are here. And at one point during the season, we didn't even know if the Chiefs would win the division. And we didn't think that they would make the playoffs maybe. And then they'd make the playoffs and be one and done. And everybody was like, oh, no, they got to, you know, here comes Miami. And Miami played in like zero degree weather. And I don't who honestly thought that Miami was going to go to Kansas City and win that game. The fake Rolex team that we've been calling them. All year, and then all nope. Now that's over. This is Patrick Mahomes' first ever true road test in the playoffs. He's done. He's done. No, he pulls it out. They go to Buffalo. It's not a sexy win, but a win is a win. Well, now he goes to Baltimore. I mean, man, I I don't know. I mean, I I'm gonna take Baltimore to win, but I would not be surprised if Kansas City goes back to the Super Bowl. And if they do, I know he's not gonna be coach of the year. 
but Andy Reid should honestly be in the conversation because offensively, Patrick Mahomes has nothing besides an aging Travis Kelsey. This team, the wide receivers, we we have talked about it all season long. They suck. This team, uh, offensively, for running backs, uh, not what it was last year. And I don't know if Eric Bieniemy had that much influence on the offense. Last week, we finally saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling with a couple catches. He made an appearance. Where the hell was he all year? Somehow, somehow they're getting it done, though, Stone. I'm taking Baltimore to win this game by a final of 27-20, to 20, but I would not be surprised if the Chiefs win. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. You've got it, so that's bigger than the lines. Your bet was beyond Baltimore. The smart bet, technically, from what I'm hearing from everything in the research, is on Baltimore at the three and a half. But how do you, how do you bet against Mahomes right now? Yeah, <laughs> I mean he has been red hot in the playoffs. He's red hot when the line is as close to three as it is right now, and as an underdog. Um, it's hard. That's why I have not laid down money on this yet. I, 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 it's, everything's telling me Baltimore's going to win this game and Baltimore's going to cover, but I just have not pulled the trigger yet. Um, and I mean, Casey's playing great ball right now. I mean, you never feel safe in the playoffs whenever Mahomes is around. You always feel like he can either backdoor cover or strictly win the game straight out. Um, bad news for Kansas City, three more guys on their defense got injured last week against Bu- Buffalo. And meanwhile, Baltimore is getting back both uh, Humphrey and Mark Andrews this week. So oh. you got to have you got to have uh, got to have a feeling Baltimore's on the ride. There isn't a team, in my opinion, defensively that matches up better against the Chiefs in the whole league than this Baltimore defense. And that could really spell the end for Mahomes and Reed in this run here. You know, another thing, Mahomes has been down by, if they get down big, I mean, Mahomes has been down by eight points 10 times in the playoffs in his career. And he's eight and two in those games. And the only two losses he has is against your man, Tom Brady. So that's the other, that's the other thing. Again, where we're talking about, he's never, ever, out of it Baltimore's defense is going to have to get pressure on Mahomes they're going to have to hit him they're going to have to make him start looking over his shoulder because if you don't get that pressure on him he's going to pick you apart ask Buffalo so and the other thing the other big question in this game can Lamar keep it going yeah Lamar definitely got a bunky off his back last week but the first half looked like crap the first half I was feeling very very good about my plus nine and a half in that game and I and and D'Amico put out a perfect defensive game plan for that first half to stymie Lamar. And then Lamar came out of halftime like a man on fire, like looking like the MVP. He's going to have to do that again in this game. Um, so you got both of the, a, lot of, a lot of things going on here. I'm with you. I think Baltimore wins, but I think it's like a 24-21 win here where Baltimore comes from behind and beats Mahomes and finally puts this to bed for this season. You mentioned getting pressure on Mahomes. I agree with you on that. I think it's as simple as you don't want a lackadaisical Lamar. I think if you win the toss, you you don't defer if you're Baltimore. I think you take the ball right away and you try to go down the field and score. Because if you're going to play – if you give the ball to Mahomes right away, yeah, you have a good defense. Don't get me wrong, but – 
it's going to be pretty demoralizing if you come out and you allow a touchdown to Mahomes and company right away, and now we're playing from behind. I think you got to put the ball in Lamar's hands. I think he needs to have a big day on the ground. I think I think if Baltimore wants to win this game, I think he can have over 90, 100 yards rushing in this game, but he's going to have to be real smart with the football too. I think bringing, uh, having Mark Andrews come back is great. He's one of the top three tight ends in the NFL when he's healthy. I'm happy to see him coming back. I just, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a hell of a matchup. I think Detroit and San Francisco can be a hell of a matchup too. So I'm uh, certainly excited for, for the games this weekend. And, uh, and then we, we have Super Bowl. I mean, it's already, it's already here stone. How about that? And no, it's fantastic. By the way, Hack just came in with some breaking news Uh-oh. here on there. Panthers hired Bucks Dave Canales as head coach. Your thoughts? Uh, doesn't doesn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, it's it's not really splashy. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, this this organization, Dave Tepper, has made it so toxic. Nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to go there. You're you're taking Dave. You're taking Dave Canales again, a guy who comes from that Pete Carroll tree on the offense under Shane Waldron, and there in his one year as Bucks offense coordinator, did a fantastic job with with uh, resurrecting Baker Mayfield's career. There is no doubt about it, but. It just shows me everybody who probably did interview, who I felt was even more qualified than Canales, probably said, thanks, but no thanks. I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. My goodness. I mean, that's, I mean, maybe he'll turn out and be great. A lot of these guys, when they get jobs, the name's not necessarily sexy, but they, they got to start somewhere. But I'd be curious to know who they all interviewed. Also, like, did Brian Flores even get interviews this offseason? I mean, that just, in a way, kind of shows you that the NFL, like, oh, you better not ever try to sue the NFL because uh, they're going to screw you over. No teams uh, uh, want to want to touch Brian Flores with a 10-foot pole. The dude had an incredible year as the defensive coordinator. I've always liked Flores. He got screwed in Miami. Should probably still be the coach in Miami, but he's not. And uh, I don't even think he had an interview anywhere this offseason, which is unfortunate. I just... I don't know. I, I don't get how some of these guys get jobs so so quick. It's something to, to watch out, though, for is, uh, well, let's see what happens with Kansas City. There's been some reports circulating around that maybe uh, Andy Reid will retire at the end of the season. So I don't know. I mean, who knows who might get that job? Maybe that's for Eric Bieniemy. Well, you got Eric Bieniemy, or the, the rumor is Matt Nagy who, again, has been kind of orchestrating this resurrection of this offense in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. might be the guy to succeed. And we know Nagy previously from his tenure in Chicago. It was kind of up and down there, but things could be a lot different for him going from Mitch Trushitsky (laughs) to Patrick Mahomes. That's for damn sure. Some of these guys, like, my goodness. How how are they in the league? Mitch Trubisky. I mean, honestly, like... I. First off, I mean, if you have to rely on your backup quarterback, your season's pretty much done anyway. There's only a handful of teams where it's like, oh, man, so-and-so went down, and now we get to bring in, like, you know, New Orleans. Like, if Derek Carr goes down, you could bring in Jameis Winston. That's like, okay, you know, Jameis is is respectable. You know, in Carolina, they had uh, Andy Dalton. That's okay. 
But, you know, like the Jets, the minute Aaron Rodgers went down, every Jets fan and everyone in America said, we're done. Now, now we now we got Zach Wilson. I mean, again, Zach Wilson, I wouldn't hire Zach Wilson to work a hot dog stand outside of MetLife Stadium during during the game. I mean, it's as simple as that. I wouldn't I wouldn't hire the guy. I mean. I don't know. It's, it's it's ridiculous. So I'm sure there'll be more uh, head coaching announcements. Uh, I love the Harbaugh hire in, in L.A. If if yes. her, here comes Justin Herbert and that team that that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be legit. That is for sure. It is definitely exciting. Now we just are simply waiting on what Washington, Atlanta, and. Is it just Washington and Atlanta, or is there no and Seattle? We've got three openings of the original eight left with the Panthers hiring Bucks Dave Canellis as head coach. For Washington, just shut it down. Like nobody cares. Like who even <laughs> wants the job? <laughs> they should have just kept Ron Rivera. Just kept Riverboat Ron and just said, Ron, just coach here as long as you want, and then then we'll just shut it down. Like what what is good about that organization? There's nothing there I would want. Nothing. I don't want anything. They're just as simple as that the number two pick. So mm. there is definitely hope that, you know, that they Drake may, yeah. may be the guy to, to save this organization. We will have to see. Well, I do love the Adam Peters hire. That is definitely a big boy hire. That isn't some of this run of the mill GM action that we've seen from, you know, the, the organization in the past yeah. when you had a, uh, what's his face running it all those years. Uh, God, now his name freaking. The guy who's in trouble with the FBI left the, and right. The owner? Daniel Snyder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Well, we're rambling. I'll uh, I'll let you get to it. I, I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, we'll give you next week off uh, as there's no – unless you want to preview – You don't want to talk about the Pro Bowl flag football game? <laughs> you don't want to talk about the skills challenge? Um, <laughs> we'll talk to you Super Bowl week for a big show. Sounds great, Trevor. Always a pleasure, and I cannot believe we are at this point once again. The NFL season always bringing us fantastic content. We hope you all have enjoyed us this year as well. Mark Stone on the Trevor J. Brown Show. On a free-for-all Friday. You're listening to the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Hi, this is Regina Noel Downing, the owner and instructor of the Regina Noel Music Studio and author of the Family Story Songbook series, including Give a Little Snuggle, The Bedtime Rhyme, and Dear Mom and Dad. If you're looking for educational entertainment for your school, daycare, or library delivered with a song, I'm available for live and or Zoom engagements and classes. And if you need an experienced guest speaker for educators, future educators, and even parents about how to build rapport and connect and teach effectively with compassion, please contact me. My email is author.reginanoeldowning at gmail.com or visit my website www.linktr.ee slash author r n d here's to you doing the best you can with what you've got i hope to hear from you soon here's your parting gift once again here's trevor congratulations to minnesota twin joe mauer on making the hall of fame an incredible feat did you know that more than twenty thousand men have played major league baseball And out of those, only 342 have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, 270 former players, 40 executives, 23 managers, and 10 
umpires. Now, I'm not great at math, but if you just take the players, that's less than 2% of all players make the Hall of Fame. Just 60 of those players have been honored as first ballot Hall of Famers, including Ted Williams and Jackie Robinson. And only three of those on the first ballot have been catchers, including Johnny Bench and Yvonne Rodriguez. I'll admit that during his career, I was rather vocal on the lack of postseason success the Twins had. The Twins never won a postseason series in Joe's career. In fact, they won only one playoff game. Now, when you run into the Yankees most of those postseasons, well, what do you expect? And it's a team game. But now looking back, whether or not my criticism was justified or not, it's tough to argue with the numbers. It was a hell of a career, Joe. As sports fans, we get to witness greatness, night in and night out. And then, in a blink of an eye, greatness retires, and new greatness comes in. But players don't play forever. Coaches don't coach forever. Before you know it, a career is done. We get a limited window into greatness. The other night, I was watching old highlights from the 1998 Chicago Bulls teams. I pulled up an old NBA on NBC promo. I pulled up the 1998 Bulls intro with the running of the Bulls and the so-90s graphics. My heart started racing and I actually got a little teary-eyed because it was and still is so damn cool. They don't hype them like that nowadays. When the Red Sox broke the curse, when Kevin Garnett won a championship with the Celtics, watching Tom Brady... We witness greatness, and then it's gone, and we're left with memories. So enjoy the ride, because it's over before we know it. And we get to witness new teams. We get to witness new players. We get to witness new greatness. But certain ones can never be topped. Thank you to my guests tonight, Ross Brendel and Mark Stone. Next week, old pal Tim Lingen joins. It's part one of a two-part interview. Also coming up in February, appearances by Ed Hallback from the Ed Hallback Show, and Tim Coffey will be back to discuss the Beatles and their first trip to America as that anniversary is coming up. Isaac Jensen will be here in studio the week of the Super Bowl, and a big Super Bowl preview with none other than Mr. TNT, Mark Stone. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good night. This has been the Trevor J. Brown Show. The opinions expressed on this show do not express the views of staff, management, or sponsors of Inherent Dream Production Company or streaming services where the show may be heard. The Trevor J. Brown Show is produced by Inherent Dream Production Company. Welcome to the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, home to 763, the local morning show, the Trevor J. Brown Show, and bonus content Saturdays. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Inherent Dream and follow us on X at Inherent Dream. This is the Inherit Dream Podcast Network.